I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. Of all the things that I think Catholics are most known for, you know, our weird devotion to the saints, our love of statues, the keeping of particular holy people's hair, relics in general, stories of miracles and apparitions, the fact that obviously we very clearly believe that we consume the body and blood of Jesus Christ, things that from the outside looking in seem objectively odd or perhaps even unrealistic or just plain strange. Of course, that's just another way of saying odd. Of all the things that Catholics are known for, In that realm of weirdness, we have a whole book about this, by the way, at Ave Maria Press, the Catholic Hipster Handbook. But of all of the things that we have in our Catholic Church that we're kind of known for from the outside looking in, I think if you really get down to brass tacks, a lot of people will tell you what they know about Catholics is that we're unafraid to talk about sin. Now, you might not have known that that was the direction that I was headed in, so just stick with me for a moment. See, we as Catholics talk quite openly and quite obviously and quite frequently about sin. Not because we're preoccupied with it. The church does not ask us to sit in our sinfulness and feel extreme shame, but because it's only in talking about it and acknowledging it and naming it, dare I even say claiming it, that we're able to heal from it, that we're able to move from a place of woundedness to a place of healing. Now, last week here on the podcast, we chatted with Dr. Bob Schutz about forgiveness, about grief, about the wounds that we carry. We talked about the healing that every single one of us longs for. We talked about the challenge that is often associated with that healing. And this week, Sister Miriam James Heidland leads us through the Restore Journal by highlighting how at the core of all of us are these repeated I would even call them maybe routine, root and regular sins. And to be able to identify where those sins come from, maybe even how those sins have persistently harmed us, maybe even the ways that we like to hold on to those sins because they're familiar and and something that we understand, perhaps even how those sins at times are not actually sins of our own choosing, but are things that we've become attached to and disorderedly allow those to reign and run free within our lives. There's so many different ways that we can talk about it. And as Catholics, we're really good at talking about sin because I think as Catholics, we're really good at solving the problem of sin, which is digging into why it's there and what's going on and why it's scary to try to unpack and try to seek out that healing that we long for. It's a delicate topic. We might talk about it a lot, but people might know that, that the whole sin conversation is something that we Catholics are somewhat known for. But to dig into it, to actually look at the root of our sins, to look at the way that sin has become implanted in different areas of our life, we have to really think about the wounds that we're all carrying. Think about the way that we sometimes sin in in this weird self-medicating kind of way, to discuss and to dig into even the mental health components of our root sins. And the only person I really wanted to sit down and talk with about this was my good friend, Sister Josephine Garrett. Sister Josephine is an incredibly talented and engaging speaker. She is a licensed professional counselor who works in the Catholic schools in the Diocese of Tyler, Texas, as well as has regular clients that she sees in therapy. 
And I wanted to sit down with her and really dig into this idea of woundedness and healing, the same themes that we've been digging into this entire series, but to also talk specifically about the way sinfulness at times seems foreign and seems scary, but at times is also incredibly familiar. And almost we feel as if our sins are safe and we're used to those and we know what wounds we're inflicting upon ourselves and to really try to unpack all of that. In addition to talking about our sinfulness, we're of course going to dig into, as we have with all of these episodes, the overarching themes of Lent. What is prayer and fasting and almsgiving in our lives and how can those movements of the Lenten season restore us and bring us to this deeper understanding, of course, of wounded healing, healing from our wounds and sin being eradicated in our lives. It's an excellent conversation, one that I think you're going to certainly enjoy. This is, of course, part of our entire Ave Explores Lenten series. You can find all of the information at AveMariaPress.com. You can sign up for our weekly emails. We'd love it if you journey with us through this Lenten season. We're only about halfway through. You can still grab the copy of Restore from Ave Maria Press and continue listening to this podcast. Check it all out at AveMariaPress.com. Right now, we'd love it if you'd sit back and enjoy this conversation with Sister Josephine Garrett. Sister Josephine, I almost said Sister Josephine Bakita because that's what my daughter calls you. <laughs> Sister Josephine Garrett, welcome to Ave Explorers. Thank you. I love spending time with you. <laughs> it's always a joy. I'm going to convince you to come hang out with us after Steubenville South this year because we're only like two hours south. Oh, I'm so it's like, let's have a have, let's have a party. Have come on down. Schedule. Okay, good, yeah. good, 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 good. Okay, just making sure. Sister, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. We've had you on the show before, but let's reintroduce you to our listeners. Sure. I'm Sister Josephine Garrett. I'm a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth. We're an international congregation in 12 countries around the world, and we have about 30 convents here in the United States. We serve families, however, our gifts are able to be put at the service of families, so we've got a ton of different types of ministries that we do, but our primary charism is to help build a family spirit so that God's love can continue to be spread in the world. Mm. So I serve as a counselor at a grade school, which is a delight. Like I'm always <laughs> surprised in working with kids that age. And then, so that's half of my time. And the other half of my time, I'm in a private practice where I see teenagers and adults, which is also really beautiful and delightful uh, to accompany people in healing. So that's what I do. And then sometimes I'll speak or write. But that's like the side side hustle kind of. Yeah, it's the it's the extra when I've got the time. Yeah. Sister, yeah. I tell people about you all the time <laughs> because you worked in the secular world. Yeah. You converted to Catholicism. You went to the University of Dallas. So I, I already feel like we we're connected because of that. But then you're a counselor, which is counseling is I, I want to say therapy and counseling is like experiencing a moment in our culture because it's it's almost like a badge of honor to mm -hmm. say that you go to therapy, that you go to counseling. We were talking about it earlier, like the relationship that I have with my therapist <laughs> and the relationship you have with your clients and, and how everybody's kind of got a different dynamic. But I think there's a lot of beauty that religious sisters especially seem to be entering this space more because... I think y'all have a unique perspective on what healing actually is because you have a relationship better than anybody else with the healer himself. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how you think the perspective of religious life works well in counseling. I think that being a spouse of Jesus Christ, like I'm on a good day, right? <laughs> I'm trying to attend to what he's doing, you know, and attend to what my spouse is asking of me. And I think that's what can be tricky about healing. Especially as a clinician, we set a treatment plan, we set a treatment course, mm -hmm. but then we're not like the ruler of the course, 
you know, and I don't govern the course. And I think that's something that I do bring into the counseling room is to see like, when is it the moment to ensure that Christ is the king in this counseling room? I try to be Mm. attentive to that. And so it's interesting that you say it because our sisters who have gone for additional education, like advanced degrees in the United States over the last 10 years, I think the majority of those advanced degrees have been in mental health. So even in our own congregation in the United States, we're seeing an uptick in interest in sisters, sisters feeling called to serve in mental health or social services. So that's what cool. We'll joke and say, we just need to open up a Holy Family Counseling Center <laughs> and just all be together and yes. do mental <laughs> health. But I do, I, I think we bring an attentiveness to who's in front of me. So it's mm-hmm. just like a proper view of the human person when we look at our client and when we consider their healing. So, yeah. I think that's such a, a beautiful perspective on Christ comes into the room. I mean, even I have a very good friend who is very Catholic, but obviously does counseling from a secular perspective, but like his faith certainly informs the work that he's doing. And, and that's I, I, that Roy and I've had that conversation before about, mm-hmm. okay, how is the Holy Spirit prompting me? I might not like, I'm not going to lay hands on my client, right. but I certainly know that the Holy Spirit is guiding this particular moment. And, and even people who are totally disaffiliated from the church would probably say that something otherworldly at times happens within a counseling session because you really are illuminating the deepest parts of your heart. Sister Miriam has led us through a little bit of that illumination this Lent so far with Restore and Mm. has kind of started pushing on some of those little spots in our hearts and in our heads that therapists do over time. And in, (laughs) in the Lenten season, we are doing almost like a crash course. And okay, let's look at what is going on in our hearts and in our heads with the full caveat of sometimes people need to go a little bit deeper later on with professionals. Like this book is certainly not a replacement for that. But in this week, there's this immediate acknowledgement of a lot of our woundedness comes from sin, the sins of others, the sins that we ourselves have committed, even just sometimes a distorted awareness of sin. And sin's kind of a weird thing to talk about sometimes. Like there are some parts of our church that people are like, oh no, we're not going to talk about that because it might make people feel bad. Mm. There's some people who like only want to talk about sin to the point of making everybody feel bad. So Mm -hmm. then there's this massive course correction. How do you think we need to talk about sin? Let's, let's just start there because it is such a loaded thing. Yeah. I talk about sin. Like there's no point in me going behind the screen to confession anymore because I go so often he knows my voice now. Like there was one day that I had lost my voice. Like I had completely, like I was, you know, barely screeching behind the screen. And I finally said, father, it's sister Josephine. He said, Oh, I know. I can still tell it's you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's supposed to do that. (laughs) Right. But, (laughs) and so I do think we don't talk about sin enough. And I know that those pockets of the churches where it's just too much, right? Like it's just almost, um, we have to be careful because sometimes our sinfulness, Mm -hmm. our woundedness can become like a blankie like a security blanket. Mm. Like we get so accustomed to holding on to it. So when I think about how we need to understand sin and look at sin, a story comes to mind. I think I was a postulant. Me and Sister Faustina were both postulants. We have big woods, like a large amount of woods behind our convent in the Dallas area. And our formator was also the facilities manager. So she was wanting to clean up in the woods. And she took us to this tree that a vine had taken over it and was killing the tree. And she wanted us to remove the vine from the tree so she could, it could live. She thought it was a beautiful tree, but it was dying because of the attachment. And so we started to rip away this vine from this tree. And then we got to a point 
where there was a part so attached that it needed both of our strengths to pull. So we started to pull Mm -hmm. and we finally ripped it away and we fell on the ground when we ripped it away. And Sister Marietta stood over us and she said, that's what sin does to your soul. Mm. And so I think it's important that we be careful how we talk about sin, that yes, sin has entered the world, but we were not created with sin in our nature. So I think sometimes Mm. in those pockets of the church where sin is overemphasized, they'll almost say like, it's our nature, but I act according to my nature when I choose virtue and I act contrary to my nature when I choose sin, because my nature is in the image and likeness of God and it's restored in Christ. And so I think it's important that even if we become intimately attached to our sins so that they feel like they're very much a part of us, that is not my nature. And so you're a better theologian than I. So I need you to correct me if I'm a a (laughs) heretic right now. You better not even hesitate. You're doing great. Okay. And so I think that's one of the main things that's important to talk about with sin is to be careful how we see it in our nature as human beings and how God made us. It can be deeply attached. We can almost be in to carry it as like a security blanket. It can sometimes be afraid to put it down because sometimes we're more afraid of a painful full space than an empty space that I don't know what it'll feel like. Am I making sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like one of the, one of the most revealing moments of therapy ever was when my therapist looked at me and said, you like your anxiety mm. that it gives you a, a, a it, it's a feeling that you're it's yeah. It's a feeling that you're used to. Mm-hmm. It's something that you know how to manage, but it's holding you back from thriving. And so he said, these are the ways that we're going to ground you in moments of anxiety to where you start to think of the anxiety, not as the bad guy, but as the thing that is keeping you from thriving completely. And I think Sin is obviously the bad guy, right? Like actually choosing like consistent, I'm choosing myself over God. I'm choosing this mm-hmm. pleasure over this opportunity to choose the Lord. Like that is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But we we return to it again and again and again because it's familiar. Because I know, I, even if I'm going to feel shame afterwards, or even if I know that this is like a massively big mistake that I'm going to have to go confess later on, I know what it's going to feel like in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what my life will feel like if it's not there mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what you just said, that empty, emptiness is scary. The desert, scary. It, you're laid bare. Mm-hmm. And so like, I don't know what's going to happen in the desert. So I'm just going to stay over here in this little tiny corner of the garden that's actually already like kind of dying. But, mm-hmm. I, but I know what it feels like in this moment. So there's this, this consistent conversation that I've noticed is happening, mainly on social media. I'm seeing this conversation happen about like uprooting sin can only really happen in our lives when we know the root sin. And this this language is being used in a, like I see it from the far, far right and the far, far left. Mm-hmm. of like, okay, there's some singular thing that everything is flowing from. I, I once heard, you know, the root of all sin is pride, which that's probably true. But like, I think a lot of different people <laughs> have different experiences within that. So you, you gave that wonderful analogy of we got to rip that vine that's choking us out but then we might fall in the process and that's going to hurt a little bit mm-hmm. too. And we might be a little embarrassed or like, we might feel like, okay, like, was I strong enough to just do it without falling on my butt? How can we start to dredge it up in a, not an easy way. What's the word? A gentle, in a gentle <laughs> way. Like we look at Claire and Claire like goes ham on wanting to hug her sister and we go gentle, gentle, soft, soft. Like we know you love her, but like you cannot headbutt your older sister <laughs> who probably wants to headbutt you too. So how do we gently begin to unwind that vine? 
I think I'm glad you asked this because sometimes we have to be careful not to navel gaze and over <laughs> put too much emphasis on ourselves mm-hmm. when we look up and we spent our whole lives navel gazing at the my root, my root, my root, you know, and then we miss the life where if we had lived it like step by step, God would have uprooted it. We have to kind of be careful where we put our gaze. And so I think this is very basic, but the sacraments, prayer, and good mental health treatment is the process of uprooting, but going slow. There's that great Chardin poem. I don't know if it's a poem or what it is. It's called The Slow Work (laughs) of God. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. And it it talks about not trying to be tomorrow, not trying to be today what you ought to be tomorrow, not... Mm trying to hurry along and skip the intermediate stages. But I think the main thing is, and this comes from our charism, the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth, is to understand like the primacy of the ordinary moment to reveal like the greatness of God to you. And Mm. so I want to encourage us to like, if you want to know like the root of your sin, you don't have to depart from your world to do that. So like we shouldn't live in one world and pray in another. We shouldn't live in one world and heal in another. Mm-hmm. We can take retreats, we can go to special places, but the context of our healing occurs in the course of ordinary life. So I would say go slow and like spend your time with the moment you're in, like spend your prayer on this day, mm-hmm. spend your healing on this context. And I think people will find more healing there. And we don't always have to have words for what's in our flesh because it's a mystery. So sometimes mm-hmm. we want to like, have a way to articulate everything that has happened. But sometimes one day you just look up and after prayer and therapy and sacraments and good retreats, your relationships look different. And it's okay mm-hmm. if you can't, you know, articulate that really eloquently because it's a mystery mm-hmm. and it, it, our words can't give proper justice to mysteries. So. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Sister Josephine Garrett. She's an excellent guest. We always love having her on. And the good folks over at Sock Religious, who are sponsoring this season of Ave Maria Press, they decided to help Sister Josephine experience the joy of Sock Religious. So, Sister, who did who did Sock Religious send you? Who did they drop in the mail for you? So, I got St. Dimpha, who I kept as a mental health counselor. <laughs> so, I said, I was sharing Sense. it with the sisters when it came, and I told them, don't take her, because she's my <laughs> And then I got St. Dominic, which Sister Hannah has now, the Nativity, which Sister Sylvia has taken. And I just want to say, Sister Sylvia is in her 70s. So if she rocks those Nativity socks, I'm going to get a picture of that. I love it. And then the Pope Francis sticker and the Divine Mercy sticker, Sister Michaela took those. And today I'm actually wearing St. Josephine Makita socks. Oh my gosh, I love that. How appropriate. I love that the nuns like converged. They're like jackals where they all take uh, (laughs) this detachment from material goods, but not socks. We want the socks because that's like one of the only, I see you're wearing a scarf and you get to have fun socks. Like that's the only flair that you get to have in your life. So Sock Religious has has been sponsoring us. So we're super excited that they sent you guys some things. Yeah, we loved it. It was was great to tell the sisters about how the ministry works, describe the socks to them. So it was a ton of fun for us. So we're grateful. 
We are also grateful that Sacrilegious is sponsoring this season of Ave Explorers. If you go down to our show notes, we have a code for you. Ave10 gets you 10% off of their entire website where they have a lot more than just awesome Catholic socks. They have coffee mugs, they have t-shirts, and they've got some other fun new Catholic products. Check it all out at Sacrilegious, all one word, dot com and use code Ave10. All right, back to the show. Lent is almost like the perfect time to start doing gentle work because God, the church in her wisdom says, look, these 40 days, 46, if you count the Sundays, these six weeks or so are set apart for you to start digging a little bit or to let somebody else guide you in the digging. Restore is really trying to help people get to that place of the very least start this healing process. The the charisms of, or the, is the charisms the word, the movements, the, mm-hmm. the primary themes of Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, I think help us do that gentle work yeah. in a very distinct way. And I think we've all talked about fasting a lot. It seems this season, fasting is the one that God's kind of like shoving in my face. Like you need to do this, no. even though you're not going to want to do it. I think fasting, especially because we remove something, not just because we, oh, I've just got to get rid of this thing because it's bad. Sometimes that might be what it is, but because I want God to fill me up in a different way. How do you think fasting helps facilitate the healing from sin or at the very least the, the revealing of sin that can lead to the healing? I think, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that question is because it's incarnational. Like when I Mm. fast, there's something concrete, no no matter what, even if I'm fasting from running my mouth, my mouth isn't running, right? (laughs) Something real concrete. That's a good way to put it. it. Like it occurs in my body. And I'm a big, as a counselor, I do talk therapy, but sometimes I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm an EMDR counselor as well. Sometimes I'm looking at my clients like, will you just please take these EMDR paddles? Because we can accomplish a whole lot more through a somatic nervous system-based therapy than talk. And it will be a mystery Mm -hmm. to you. You won't be able to put words around it. But when things happen incarnationally, like in our flesh, I think it's more according to our nature, right? Because we Mm -hmm. have, we have this flesh and we have spirit as well. And like the, the flesh reveals what's occurring in the spirit, right? This is yeah. the nature of sacramentality. And so I think fasting is powerful. And I think it's a power that we haven't been accessing as a church very well. And so our sisters, we were just talking about this last night at our table house meeting uh, at, the, at our dinner table. And we have to have a house meeting every month. <laughs> it's like family business. And we were talking about our collective efforts during Lent. Mm. And so we have our our private efforts during Lent, our private devotions and decisions on how we use that time uh, to be restored. But we also look at it communally. And Mm. so we spoke about fasting for the intentions that are most pressing on our hearts. We were thinking about adding some prayer. And then we brought up, you know what? I think this calls for fasting, you know, as well as prayer, Mm -hmm. to be very intentional about our fasting. So I think it has a power to heal because it engages the person more fully. Yeah. Because of that incarnational element. Mm -hmm. I feel sometimes we we do a disservice to others when we immediately go, I'm not saying we've done this, Mm -hmm. but like when it's immediately like, okay, well, fasting has to be this hardcore, like you're not going to eat until noon. Mm-hmm. And when you do eat, you're not going to eat meat and you're not going to have anything with sugar in it. And, or like, you know what, Netflix, you're just not even, you're going to delete it from your television for the month, <laughs> you know, for the season of Lent. Like you're not even going to watch anything that's remotely entertaining. And it breeds resentment rather than this. This is an opportunity to be closer to the Lord and I mean, build 
our strength up to be able to embrace that incarnational component and to see the fruits of it. And, and the same thing I think happens when we say like, let's start looking at sin. Like if we immediately go to, we are sinful, sinful people and God covers us up with snow because we're dunghills. It's like, that's not Catholic theology, first of all. And sec- that's Calvinism. <laughs> and second of all, like God's <laughs> not standing there looking at us, wagging his finger going, you sinful, sinful people. Like God is looking at us with arms spread wide saying, I love you and I'm, I'm healing this sin within you. And, and the fasting done gently, the prayer done I think in a way that we actually enjoy and not just like, oh, I'm forcing myself to pray the rosary, even though I hate the rosary. Like God would never want us to do that. The giving from a place of, of not scarcity, but from this place of generosity can actually become, mm. we, you know, we know something by its fruits. Fruitful. Like then it becomes fruitful. Mm. Fruitful. And like and I, fruits of the spirit, yeah. love, joy. Yes. Yeah, it's like we yeah. see the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my fasting shouldn't make me like if I fasted from coffee, that would be harmful to my family. It would make me a bad wife and mom because I need that caffeine. Tommy and I did that. I will I will reveal this story. So when we got engaged in October of 2015, we both went on like a sugar busters diet with an Arbon consultant. It was like the silliest thing I think I've ever done in my entire life. When it was like, you're going to cut sugar from your life completely because you're both like, we're going to look as good as we've ever looked for our wedding. We're going to lose 30 pounds. Neither one of us needed to lose 30 pounds, but we're going to, we're going to do this healthy, you know, gangbusters thing. And within the first two weeks, like they tell you basically just like cut it all out completely. Like you can't have any refined sugar whatsoever. And then you can slowly add it back to your diet after like this 20 day detox. Mm -hmm. We were so mean to each other, to our students, to our coworkers. Like it was awful. And I, I was like, maybe 10, 10 days in, I said, Tommy, I don't think this is good. Like, yeah, I maybe it like on the one hand, it seems like I have more energy because I'm not drinking. I'm not putting sugar in my coffee. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm a jerk to everybody around me. And it's like, yes, this is revealing. Perhaps I have an, a sugar addiction that needs to be addressed, <laughs> but I don't think the going cold Turkey. Now I'm not saying like, this means we have to wean ourselves off from sin. I want to clarify that to anybody listening to this moment. Yeah. But I think the analogy here is that in fasting and in prayer and in almsgiving and doing the healing work that God is inviting us to, we have to make sure that it's not turning us into this little monster of righteous, like holiness, which is not actually holiness. That makes me think that I'm better than everybody else or somehow convinces me that I'm doing this right thing because that's what all these people told me to do. Mm -hmm. Like Sister Miriam reminds us frequently throughout the book Mm -hmm. to be gentle in the dredging up of these things or to be gentle in the embrace of these fasts or or, or gentle in the way that we start to work through these these questions. And I'm curious, I want to tap into your counselor brain why do you think we go to the extremes so frequently in these liturgical seasons? And like, how do we resist doing that? Like, is it just a natural human reaction? Is it something that maybe like we've been conditioned to at this current cultural moment? I mean, why do you think that's coming up and how do we fight against that? So when I see clients doing that, one of the things I am considering maybe going on is self-sabotage. What creature has ever accomplished all the things (laughs) all at once, right? And so if I say I'm going to do all this immediately, it's really I'm setting myself up to do really nothing. Mm. And so it, I'll sometimes wonder if it's like a, a resistance, whether conscious or subconscious, or a self-sabotaging, whether conscious or un- subconscious, unconscious, subconscious, so that nothing changes. Yeah. And so I used to think when I was trying to be today all that I'm supposed to be in the future, 
that I was lacking humility and trying to be like God. And then one day in prayer, I realized it was actually the opposite. When Mm. I am trying to be today what I could be tomorrow instead of being where I am today, then I've released the gift of being like God in Jesus Christ because Mm. God is a present moment. God is present moment. So if I will abide in the sacrifices I'm called to make today, whether they are prayer, fasting, the ones that will bear the fruits of the spirit, which include love and joy and patience, if I'm abiding in that, then I'm abiding in the patrimony given to us in Jesus Christ to be like God, like to mm. be restored to the likeness of God. This is what we lost in the garden when we sinned. We kept the image. Our likeness was harmed. Jesus came to restore our likeness. So we are like him in the sacraments degree by degree. And so when I'm abiding in the present moment, like I'm living in that great inheritance to be like God. And so when I see Mm. people saying, I'm going to do all the things all at once, I haven't worked out in two years, but tomorrow I'm going to get on the treadmill and run five miles. It's like, you're really planning to change nothing. (laughs) You're going to die. Yeah. That's not going to (laughs) work. Your plan is to change nothing. Yeah. That's what comes to mind. Oh, that's such a great word. I So we recently bought a Peloton bike. Yeah. By the time this airs, it will have been quite some time. And it was a total spontaneous purchase. Like it was one of those like, you know what? This one's on sale. It was, we got a great deal. It was a used yeah. one. It came with shoes. The shoes are absurdly expensive. Right. Like it's probably like God smiled down upon us in this moment. Cause had I waited for two weeks to get like the brand new one delivered to me, I would have totally lost interest in this thing. Yeah. So we get the bike. I climb on for like a 20 minute ride the first night, yeah. nearly kill myself. Like I am red faced. I am panting. I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but I was also like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I can't even get out of the thing. Like Tommy had to come save me from the bike. Cause when you clip in, you you like you're in and then there's like this <laughs> ankle move that you, and I had no idea how to do the ankle move to get out so like he had to literally come take my feet out of the shoes and like lift me off the bike my butt was hurting <laughs> I was panting it was a very it was like childbirth and saving me from a peloton the most intimate moments of our lives <laughs> and I was like I I was I felt defeated it was like I just spent a thousand bucks on this thing. Mm. I enjoyed like the one ride that I did in a hotel, probably because I was like pumped full of endorphins because I just gave a talk. Yeah. I was hanging out with my friends. I was like, I'm going to go ride it. And now I've got this thing sitting next to my bed. <laughs> and I like, it's like staring me in the face. Like, well, are you going to use me or not? So like feeling defeated, mm. I opened up Reddit. Cause of course that's what you do. You'd like go look online. <laughs> and I realized, wait a second, Peloton's a genius. Like they actually have a whole like learn to ride program and they they, they nice. call it you can ride and it's three weeks and they like gradually get more difficult and you get to meet nine different instructors and like awesome. like they realize like you can't just hop on a bike you have to like actually like be taught like this is what it means to change your resistance and to like stand up out of the saddle and like two weeks in your butt's gonna hurt a little bit less and like uh, it, and it, it for a moment I was like oh my god I've said this repeatedly since I got mm-hmm. it the church could learn so much from Peloton mm-hmm. right now like how we walk with people how we encourage people how we hand people a book and say, look, you're going to do this book, but we're going to do this podcast alongside of you to help you unpack these themes. Cause we don't want you to just go into 40 days of I'm not going to eat till noon and I'm going to dig up my root sin and try to get rid of it in my life. And then I'm just going to fall back into those old habits when Lent is over because nobody's going to continue to be there to walk with me. Mm-hmm. And I'd never thought of it as a self-sabotage thing. Like, I don't think I got on the bike planning to sabotage myself, but I got on the bike thinking I was going to do a lot better than I did. Mm-hmm. And then feeling shame because it was like, how I didn't do nearly as well as I thought I would. I'm really out of shape. Oh my gosh, this is 
this is a waste of money. This was a failure. The same thing could happen in our spiritual life. So such a great insight, such a good, a good word to help us, I think, contemplate Lent in general. The question we've asked everybody to kind of round out our conversation is of the prayer and the fasting and the almsgiving for Lent of 2022 at a, at a very strange moment in our, both mm-hmm. our world's history, still very much in a pandemic, still very much trying to navigate the divide that seems to exist in our country more than ever before. Which movement of Lent are you paying the most attention to of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving? And, and which one do you think can actually perhaps bear fruit for people who maybe are struggling at this point in the Lenten season, we're three weeks in, like, like you might start to lose a little bit of steam and the efforts that you're put forth. Which one are you concentrating on? I will say, I mean, personally in my prayer, I believe I'm called to concentrate on fasting mm. with the mindset that our sin is never personal, but neither is our, our work for God. Like it's mm. always corporate. And so when I fast, when I pray, when I give, it transforms the world, not just my personal mm-hmm. life, but the world. When I sin, it transforms the world, the body of Christ, not just my own world. And so for me, I feel called to focus on fasting. It's the one that, and not just in food in different ways, because I want to do what I want to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like a fasting, you know, different way enters into our will And so that's how I feel called to kind of create this emptiness. People who are kind of halfway through Lent and starting to feel exhausted, I would say these things, and you touched on it earlier, Katie, these intentional efforts we enter into in the season of Lent that help us to, as sisters saying, kind of drudge up, bring up gently what needs to be healed so that God can restore us. These efforts, whether they're prayer, fasting, or almsgiving, they disposition us, I like to say, to receive Lent. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm not doing those things because that's supposed to happen in Lent. I'm doing those things so God can reveal to me what's supposed to happen in Lent. And so Mm -hmm. I think we don't construct Lent, we receive Lent. And so Mm -hmm. at this halfway point, Whatever has come up in your life, because you're working through this journal, this reflection book, whatever has come up in your life because of what you felt called to do in regards to prayer and fasting and almsgiving, now is the point, I think, where you receive Lent, what God really wanted to work in you by you dispositioning yourself to hear it and see it and receive it through working Mm -hmm. through this book and doing those things Mm -hmm. you said you do. And so Lent comes to you. You don't construct Lent. You don't make Mm. it happen. And so just ask yourself, Mm -hmm. like, okay, now that I've done all these things and disposition, what has come up and you're going to meet God? Yeah. Oh, such a, such a good word. We could keep going. And and I, I, well, I, so I'm going to tell you my idea. I think you need a podcast. I think you need a sister. Josephine takes us to therapy podcast. I will help you produce it, sister. We will make this a reality. I will call you later. Sister, where can we follow you on social media and, and hear more of your wisdom, see more of the great things that you offer? I'm on Twitter as Sister Josephine. It's S Josephine underscore CSFN. And then on Instagram as Sister Josephine. You're just going to see a lot of how the kids bring me joy. and how It's true. Yeah, it's behind that. the scenes of none life. And I like, I'm convinced you are bringing vocations to the church because people see it and they're like, oh, 
she's like doing things like she's with people yeah. all the time yeah. she's spiritually mothering it's, it's amazing uh, keep up the great work sister thank thanks for you. sharing thank your you heart too. every time i sit down and visit with sister josephine i always walk away with a really new dare i say not updated but invigorated perspective reinvigorated i guess is the word i'm really looking for a new lease on my understanding of not only what it means to be a catholic seeking healing not only what it means to be a person who knows my woundedness but what it means to be a person in love with jesus christ who provides this healing to us who helps us understand where our sinfulness is coming from why it can be really hard to work through and ultimately what it means to come out on the other side perhaps of the desert like we are walking through this lent and recognize that's where something was rooted within me and this is how I can uproot it. This is how I can pull it out. This is how I can seek the healing that can only come from Christ himself. Now, all of this, the conversation with Sister Josephine, our Instagram lives happening on our Ave Maria Press Instagram page, the website emails that you can get directly if you sign up on AveMariaPress.com that have the videos from Sister Miriam herself. All of this is part of our Ave Explorer series where we want to walk with you this Lenten season in an intentional way to journey through the desert, like Father John Burns said back at the first week of Lent, to enter into the wilderness, to enter into the untamed spaces, and to let Christ work in an intentional way. And Sister Josephine, this week, we're so grateful that she was able to lead us through this understanding of woundedness and the necessity of finding the roots of the sin that sometimes leads to those wounds or only makes other wounds worse. Again, go to AveMariaPress.com to find out more of all the stuff that we're creating. We'd love it too if you join us on Monday for an Instagram Live with Sister Miriam herself over on our Ave Maria Press Instagram page. We'll be talking about fasting, specifically how fasting can lead to further healing in our lives. So you can check that out on the Ave Maria Press Instagram page. Again, if you sign up for our emails, you won't miss a thing. We'll be back next week with a whole lot more of our Ave Explorer series on Lent. We're grateful that you listened this week, and we'll see you soon. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Forte Catholic, a weekly Catholic comedy podcast hosted by Taylor Schroll with his co-hosts, Father Anthony Sharapa, Jonathan Blevins, Allison Sullivan, and Liv Harrison. Think of it like youth group, but for adults. You can have a blast while growing in your faith. Subscribe today on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts and find a link down in our show notes for Forte Catholic.